House of Mystery presents Inside Writing, the radio show where authors discuss their writing process in all genres. Welcome back into the House of Mystery, and of course, I'm Al Warren. Mr. Martino is dealing the deck of cards with fate. With fate? <laughs> I thought I'd... Okay. Yeah. Well, we're <laughs> doing that. Sounds... It sounds like me. We're doing action, adventure. It's got to be exciting, yeah. thriller. So you're dealing the deck of fate. That is right. Yeah. Jeez, <laughs> I, could, I could use that in my next book. He was hmm. dealing the deck of fate. Now, that I guess, sounds like a title. Yeah. Well, you can tell that's why I'm not a crime fiction writer. <laughs> <laughs> I will be one day if I make one it. Day. I don't know. I'm learning. <laughs> so that's what, you know, we got a guest today. I'm going to learn everything I can because she, she writes all these thriller books, like action, quirky adventures. I'm going to learn. So, uh, and today we're going to be talking about a book called Judgment Day. And it is book five of the Intern Diaries. Sounds like right up your alley. So, uh, D.C. Gomez, thank you for being here. I am so glad that I joined you. Thank you so much for having me, gentlemen. Well, it's a pleasure. So, let's get into this. Like, D.C., how did you get into this world of writing? I, I actually have a background in film and television. So, I went to school for filmmaking. And I tell everybody I have one of those really life stories that everybody's like, really? So I graduated college. I actually joined the military. I joined the U.S. Army. I wanted to learn about people, and I wanted to get familiar. I wanted to tell the stories that people really could connect with. Unfortunately, it was right at the time of 9-11. I was in basic training when 9-11 happened, and my world just shifted. So I kind of prioritized. Everything took a different turn. My career, my creativity took a backseat. And then five years ago, I pretty much hit the point that I was miserable. I hated what I was doing. I know. You know, you're living the dream. You think I was living the American dream. I had the job. I had the house, everything you can imagine. But I was not living a creative life. I wasn't doing anything in the field that I loved. So I finally hit kind of that emotional rock bottom. And I had a spiritual director at the time that said, why don't you just do it? So the challenge was, why don't you just start writing? What do you got to lose? And I was like, okay. It took a while, but I finally did it. And I realized that creativity and creating stories, whether the medium is video or writing, is still as powerful and is still as beautiful. And I got hooked. So I've been doing it ever since. Wow. So how about, how about um, dealing with the confidence of being able to write, like, like you know, uh, properly and proper grammar and English and all that? Like, did you, did you feel like it was a challenge to get up there? And I say this because... Even myself getting out there, when you when you start writing, um, it's there for everybody in the world to, to look at and go, oh, my God, she can't spell this, or this isn't said right, or that. You know how people are. Um, did, did that sort of worry, or did you did you have that down right from the get-go? I was not blessed to have that down from the get-go. I actually, English is my second language, so that was probably one of those demons and fears that I had to overcome more than anything. My youngest brother had probably the biggest epiphany that should have been obvious to everybody. He goes, hire an editor. Stop killing yourself. There's professionals for that. And I was like, oh, that's what they mean. So I have no issues admitting to the world that I have an amazing team, especially now in my career that I've been doing this for a while, that I do have a developmental editor. I have a copy editor now in my career. So I am okay knowing that we all need help and that you are allowed to hire professionals to help you get there. Oh, for sure. There's nothing wrong with that. It's just, I just sometimes people don't always have the confidence or they feel, you know, and then you have to find people that you trust or people that you can put your trust into. And, and that's not always easy. It takes time, Alan. Absolutely. One of the things we tend to forget as creative individuals, these are our babies, whether we like it or not. And you're entrusting somebody to not butcher you, not butcher the work and still polish it. I think editors is all about polishing. But it does take some time to get your voice down and to master how, what is your style, what do you enjoy to write, and how do you bring it to life. Yeah, and that takes a while to get your voice, so to speak, I guess. Um, now, so this series, The Intern Diaries, let's talk about the basic premise of the series. First of all, what, what kind of a series is this? This is very urban fantasy. So it takes place in Texarkana, which is a small town in Texas, and is based loosely on the Four Horsemen of the Apocalypse. 
So I introduce to magic to anybody who likes fantasy, very mundane. My main character knows nothing about it. And as you go through the series, she's introduced to the world of the supernatural. She's introduced to death. She gets hired by death because she accidentally kills a death intern. And then you get to meet the other horsemen. And what do the horsemen do, honestly, when they're waiting for the apocalypse? Besides death, the other ones find ways to kill humanity because what else they got going on? So that's kind of what you get. It's a very dark humor approach to what could happen on the other side that we don't know about. Hmm. Do you, do you, so do you have like a, a real, um, let's say, a, a, an interest or a love for the uh, paranormal and the dark side like that? I actually grew up in Salem, Massachusetts. So when we moved from Dominican Republic, we moved to Salem. So I think most of my adult life I have been exposed and pretty much lived in the world of that in terms of being aware and enjoying it and respecting it and understanding that it can be something fun to explore if you let your imagination go wild. Well, that's interesting that you had that, had that experience and stuff. So what do you think that, um, in general, people get wrong about the, the Massachusetts and Salem and, and witches and the darkness and all that stuff? What do you see um, as a mistake that a lot of people in public get? I think sometimes people forget that Salem is right now a very small tourist town. So we do have a lot of tourist sites in the area, but it's still very colonial. We have some beautiful cities. We have some beautiful spaces. But Massachusetts is probably the blend between the old and the new, and it does it really well. you got houses that are from the 1600, full of history, full of everything you can possibly imagine. If you believe in ghosts, you're going to find some there. And then you have skyscrapers. You go, what is going on in this world? And it's a little bit of everything. Well, you know, you talk about uh, magic in your books. Did you create your own magic system, or did you pull from mythology? How, how did you uh, uh, create that uh, with the, within your novels? I did a little bit of both. I pulled a little bit from Christianity, since I talk about the horsemen in the context of having a hell, a death, a heaven, as well as a purgatory. So I pulled a little bit from Catholicism. I did a little bit of Egyptian mythology in there. So this series kind of crosses genre. I, one of the main characters to say happens to be a five dozen year old talking cat so one of the novellas in the series takes you to ancient egypt and we meet anubis and kind of the background behind the two of them so i get to pull from mythology religion and then what we to some extent believe the supernatural is you know what is your idea of vampires unlike many people i think my vampires are not glowy and sweet these ones are kind of vicious and evil so you get a little bit of that how do you um decide what story you want to tell especially when you've got a five book series um so do you have this all planned out before you've written all five books do you kind of know the whole beginning middle end and you're kind of filling it in with per book as you go or is this totally ad ad lib or ad hoc as you say right away I would love to be one of the pantsers that things just come to them i'm definitely a plotter so when I first started, the first book was a little bit outlined as a standalone. Then the other four kind of became much more arc and structure before I even started. So I knew Judgment Day was going to be a very apocalyptic kind of world. I knew there was going to be some challenges in this world, and I wanted my main character to be tested. So as you see, the series progress is literally building up to that book. It's building up to crazy actions, everything you can possibly imagine all your good guys, all your bad guys, everybody coming together for that final battle. And it's usually between good and evil and kind of who's going to win and what are you willing to risk for the people you love. So so when you're doing that, um, your main character through the whole thing, um, how do you develop that, that, that character? How do you decide what elements you're going to give them? With In this series specifically, it's all first is. First person, Isis Black is the main character. And her main goal underneath everything is literally finding a family. And I wanted her to find her own, you know, her own tribe, her own place in life. So the development was really much her finding that place that she belongs instead of just wandering around. And then being able to decide, what am I going to do for these people? What am I willing to sacrifice? So her, her growth comes into the fact of being a loner to being willing to die for people she cared for. 
You said you have um, a movie and a TV background, and in creating your characters, is, is that very um, kind of like a visual thing for you, or can you hear your characters? How, how does that work? I actually can see my characters in my book. I don't know if that makes sense to everybody, but a lot of my readers says I can visualize this. So the book mm. is structured in terms of scenes. So every chapter has one location, one setting per se, and you kind of move through this almost like a movie. So when I created the books, it has that feel of an action movie that you get to see from that perspective. And every chapter cuts you to a different scenario. So you're moving the book at a fairly rapid pace. I think that's kind of the joke with my editors and my readers is like, I feel like I'm running with you. I was like, well, keep up. Let's go. We got things to do. Come on. <laughs> so how do you describe your relationship with your characters then? Like, uh, and I say that um, we get a lot of fiction writers that will say things like, it's like my kids, it's like my family, it's like my whatever. They have a description. How do, how do you describe your relationship with your characters? Usually when I'm starting a series, is very much we're going on a date, and I get to meet these people. Their development is very interesting because I know very little at the beginning from them. And there's a time that I think my readers and myself are learning from them as I write it. So is me telling a story from a third perspective, I... Are they my children? Uh, maybe. I'm more like the caregiver. They're the children of the readers. My job is to make sure that I don't hurt them too much and the readers don't kill me. And that's usually how I see that relationship. Well, so then uh, where, where do they come from for you? Like where do these, these characters come from? Uh, um, just out of the blue in a dream, in a, in a mind, or do you actually sit there and just create it? I have some that are created by the scene themselves or the need of a person. Like there's, for the main character, honestly, they kind of come to me. I can say I'm thankfully inspired by anything and everything. I have a new series coming out that is post-apocalyptic. So the novella is out. And that literally was kind of like a vision in my kitchen. And the entire vision took place that I wanted to have zombies doing landscaping. And I wanted a witch watching and that the zombies were being controlled by a cat who happened to be necromancer. That was it. I was the entire first scene of this book that came to me and I giggle. I was like, oh, that would be kind of funny. I wrote it down and I went away and didn't think much about it. I got an invitation to be in an anthology within 24 hours. I was like, oh, that's what that scene's for. Let's write a book. How do you decide um, how, how you build a story? Are you, are you basically asking a question or are you building the character into the story? A little bit of both. I always start with the what if. What if something happens? One of the things when you mentioned at the beginning, the whole mystery and thriller, there's always a countdown in a lot of my books. They always have about a week, three days, something to get this done. I feel like as a writer, I want my characters to have a mission and a purpose and it has to get done and has to have be within a time frame that seems realistic. So book one, I think it takes place within a week. She had to find this within a week before people die. I think it was the, the solstice was getting ready to take place in that book. So with Judgment Day, she has three days before the apocalypse happens. So everything gets built within that tension of you have three days to save the world. And how much can you pack into these three days before everything goes to hell? What do you hope people get out of this book and out of the series itself? Like, did you have a, an intention there? Even if it was organic, did something come out of it that, is there some sort of point to this besides the entertainment of the story? With my books, they all have many different layers. And depending where you're at in your life, you can find there or not. With book one, I was very focused, quietly, if you want to say it that way, to discuss a little bit of perceptions of homelessness, especially in, in the United States. You know, I live in, I'm very grateful that I live in a city that is extremely giving. But at the same time, a lot of the population of the homeless are kept far away. You know, we, we want to help them, yet we don't want them to be in our space. And that's something that I have noticed living in different cities in the United States. So I wanted to make a little bit of commentary. You know, the book, book one is all about these people that we take for granted disappearing. So with this series, there's a little bit of a commentary on how do we see society? Do we see everything that's in front of us? Or do we only see the things that are convenient for us? If you want to see it, it's there. It is not preachy. It is not in your face, but it's still a small commentary that you can find if you're looking for that meaning behind it. And also the search for family. Family and understanding and acceptance comes in many different ways in these series. So do, do, does each book stand alone or do you need to read them in, a, in, an, in an order and part of it? 
Books one through three, you can pick them up at any point and kind of have a blast with them. Once you hit the third and fourth, you kind of should get a little bit more of the background or nothing else would make sense just because there's so many characters that at that point in time come into play. Wow. Uh, how do you keep it all straight in your mind? I have lots of notes on paper. <laughs> so what if you I, lose your paper? <laughs> oh, my God. I have index cards. I should actually own stocks and index cards. They're all over my house because it's to the point that there's so many characters. Like we got 13 in one side, and every time you add more to them, you're like, okay, so what did that guy's hair sound like? Is that their name? Okay, did I get that right? So I'm usually going back and forth between my notes and making sure that that person that I'm imagining is the same person that I name, or if I have to change it, go back and change it. So what did you get out of writing this, this series? An absolute pleasure, just in smiles, at a creating a universe that is so much fun. And I think that's the part when it comes to writing. To me, when I'm not writing, and writing and publishing are very different, Publishing is also a blast, but for writing, there's honestly like a hole in my soul that always feels empty when I'm not creating. And that can be writing a story, writing a novel, or even just making things. Like I do scrapbooking and craft making on the side. So writing this story was such a passion. And everybody that knows me goes, this is the happiest you ever are. You're always giggling. And I look like a little kid telling a big secret, like, oh, my God, let me tell you what they're doing today. So you have such a, a really good experience in writing in that. Um, do you ever get sort of a block or a point where you can't seem to write? Yeah, it's easy to get burnt out. It is, I, right now, I write in multiple genres, which confuses people very much. I was writing, just finished writing a humorous contemporary. And when I wrote the outline, I wrote the outline two and a half years ago. I had six chapters in this book, and I had a mission where this book was going. And this is what we're going to do, and it's going to be all sorts of, you know, scandalous, and it's going to have these dark themes. You know, I was I wanted to do the whole, can I explore Fifty Shades of Grey, and really what goes behind the closed doors? And my characters did not agree with that. You ask that relationship with it, it's about being authentic to those characters, and they didn't want to play. So I ended up having to rewrite their entire outline and letting them tell their story. But it took a while. I was like, I'm behind schedule. You guys need to collaborate, and they were not playing. Well, you know, you talk about um, uh, writing humorous fiction, and, you know, th there's this, this thought that for, for, for a comedian, you have to have comedic timing. Did you feel like you have to have a, a form of timing uh, to write humor in prose? I think you do. You have to have a sense of how a conversation is going to play out. And to the same time, you have to be willing to take that risk. There's some things that I have written that I think are hysterical. And my editor comes back, it's like, I didn't get it. And then you're like, oh, that was really funny at 3 o'clock in the morning. I guess not. So then you just, but you delete it and try it again. And there's some things that make sense, I guess, in the author's head and make perfect sense in my head. Hmm. And then you put it on paper, you're like, uh, that did not make any sense. The good news is after you've writing, been writing for a while, you're okay deleting. It doesn't hurt. I'm like, ah, I'll be fine. We don't need that part. So, so how much control do these uh, characters have over the story? Some, a lot more than others. My five dozen year old talking cat, anytime he's in a story, tends to take over. And I'm finding myself scrambling to keep up and going, how do we get here? Like, where are we? Why are we here? And I feel like the little kid taking notes at school that can't keep up and going, this is not what I had in mind. This was not my plot. This is not what I wanted. And then you stop fighting and just write the story. Yeah, but you know who who listens to a old old cat like that? Anyway? <laughs> That's what I said. Well, what if they start telling you to do weird things, like you're driving down the road and they start telling you to run into a shopping mall or something weird? I don't think my parents have that much control over my life. <laughs> at all. They can have all the control they want over the story. My own personal life, uh, I don't think I can give you that much. You don't wake up in the middle of the night with a shovel in your hand or something. Eh? I hope not. But if it happens, you'll be the first one I'll tell. Yeah. Just don't tell sure. anybody else. Yeah. No. no, no. Are you kidding? We'll tell everyone. Oh, that's good radio, that is. Um, wow. So that's interesting. So in a way, 
you get a lot of direction from your characters. So how do you know what you're going to use and what you're not? Like, how, how do you make that decision, I guess? I'm the one that usually writes the whole book and then goes back and reads it and then starts cutting. So I let the writer write and ramble as much as possible. And then I go back and say, okay, did that make any sense? Or is that adding to the story? For the longest time, I thought I was a very plot-driven kind of writer. My audio narrator busted my bubble and said, no, no, this is all character development, and you are a character writer, and your characters drive the story. So usually when I go back and read it and do my first couple of proofing myself before the editor, that's usually when I kind of realize this actually added, or this entire chapter does not make any sense, and it needs to go. Yeah. How much of that uh, of your personal life with uh, when you were in with the uh, um, armed services and stuff, how, how, how much of that actually has influenced this story, you think? A lot. I was surprised to see how much of it in terms of the values and what is important and how much that need for family and fitting in and understanding people play into my stories. I didn't think it was going to be that big of a deal. There's a piece of many people that I know in each character. Sometimes my characters out start out with somebody that I know. And then by the end of the book, they become their own person to save. And they actually become their own interesting kind of characteristics that I never saw coming. Yeah. Oh, so so in, in, in essence, people you know and you change them. <laughs> Morph them, make them a little bit more fascinating. I have a few <laughs> friends that said, I want to be in your... Yeah. I've been told I want to be in your books as long as I'm tall and handsome. It's like, is that a requirement? They're like, yes. I was like, okay then. You yeah. be tall and handsome. Yes. That's well, all that matters. It's how you look. <laughs> Absolutely. Yeah. But but the end of the day here, like uh, somebody has to die in the book. So which characters do you decide that are, are not going to make it or they have a, a, a bad ending? A lot of my characters tend, like my bad guys tend to die or disappear in a very interesting way. I don't write very gory or graphic deaths per se. There's a lot of actions, there's a lot of explosions. One of my readers kind of pointed out the fact that I have, I name all of the vehicles in the series. And every series, a vehicle is going to blow up and they're like, you might not kill your characters, but every single car tends to die. Really horrible death. I was like, oh, I guess so. So depending on the plot and how I can make it make sense. I'm not a believer of just killing for the sake of it just to drive, you know, that essence of, you know, the shock value. I want it to make sense, and there has to be a reason for it that would drive the story. Where do you see yourself going next? Because isn't this the final book in the series? It is. So the Intern Diaries has wrapped up, so this is a very standalone series. You have five novels. There's three novellas that you don't have to read if you don't want to, but they're still there. What I found myself doing, which was very fascinating, you asked me about my magical universe, it became its own universe. So as I was getting ready to decide what do I want to play, nothing makes sense because I had to create a whole rules of the universe and magic. So instead, all of my other little projects, I'm, do, I'm doing a lot of anthologies, all play within the Reaper's universe. So they all have that same background of magic. And my crazy cat happens to be that element that ties them all together. Did you have a real cat? I only have one. But with the amount of cat stories I write, you would think I have, you know, an entire yeah. collection of them. Just one. Yeah. Yeah, I thought you'd be Cat Lady. I have a book called The Cat Lady if it makes you feel better. <laughs> well, I thought maybe, you know. It is, uh, so what do you, where do you draw your cat's personality in, in, in the book? Like, how do you create their own character when it's a cat? Like, what do you use for kind of guidance, I guess? I am very blessed and inspired, maybe cursed, that my cat is full of personality. I am the only person that my cat judges me on a daily basis and gives me that evil look like you're failed. So my <laughs> okay, all the time. So my cat personality, at least for Constantine, is a nice merge between my mother and my cat and all that attitude that comes. And the only people that truly boss me around are my cat and my mother. So if I wanted to have characters that have that kind of influence and strength on their own, I tend to find people in my life that are full of that. They're full of those characteristics as you know, it's just one look will make you stop and go, oof, this is not going to be good. <laughs> I get to ask this. Um, how do you get any work done with a cat in the house? I'm looking for tips. <laughs> <laughs> you are officially would never get carpal tunnel with a cat in the house. That's true. <laughs> 
Because every 45 minutes, he's convinced you're being tortured and will jump on you to have a break because they need a treat. Yep. So, no, you have to time yep. yourself and see how quickly you can ride. You get 45-minute sprints between you and the cat. <laughs> and then don't even think you're going to win because eventually you, they, they're going to beat you. They have years of experience of monetizing your time. So, And my cat never loves me as much as he does in start riding. I'm like, dude, you got two weeks, you don't talk to me. Today? I need attention. I'm like, oh my god. So yes. Yep. <laughs> How about catnip? Get them drunk. Yeah. <laughs> Mine just gets hyper. So the last thing I need is a hyper kamikaze cat running around while I'm trying to write. <laughs> nice. So so where do you get your inspiration from? As in um, for writing, and it can be not just writers. It can be music. It can be movies. It can be uh, people. Whatever. Where where does inspiration come for DC? A lot of it comes from music videos. I get a lot of that energy when I'm working out and listening to music or watching music videos. The fun part about it, there is a quote by Picasso that says, inspiration will find you working. I am the most inspired when I'm working on a novel. And then I feel like I'm cheating on my novel because there's like five other stories I want to come out. I'm like, I'm busy. Please hold on. Come back. So if you ever want to be inspired, start working on a project. And then you'll be hit with tons of ideas. You're going... Why are you here now and not two weeks ago when I wasn't doing anything? Yeah, it's it's crazy. Um, so when you look back at your, your series now that it's completed, is there anything you would change now that you look back? As I look at the series and as well as my career, I think I would have made book one a little faster. And everybody's like, really? It's like, yeah, I think we would have started a lot quicker in the, in the beginning of it just because I found myself a lot more comfortable with my speed the more I wrote. So other than that, I like how each character develops. I like the madness of the horsemen. And I really just hope people enjoy it. I want them to have a really fun experience just getting away from their everyday life to join the madness of this world. So at the end of the day, um, you're pretty happy with how much you developed over the five book series? I am. One of my readers actually told me, she goes, I don't mean to be insulting, but you're getting better. I was like, oh, my God, I would be horrified if I wasn't. Like, I mean, I think as a writer, the worst thing people can tell you is like, ah, you peak at book two. I'm like, oh, that's <laughs> awful. I think that would crush my soul. Yeah, well, it would be the worst thing and say, well, it's okay, but not as good as book one. <laughs> Wouldn't that be horrible if somebody said that? I was like, Oh yeah, but God. people say that about um, singers and, and music musicians all the time, right? They'll say, well, yeah, it's an okay album, but I like the first album better or the second album. <laughs> you know, they'll say that all the time, right? Terrible. Um, it is. And it makes you very self-conscious. You're like, really? Am I not getting better? Yeah. Well, and so how do you deal with this? Like um, in the sense of, um, so here we are in, the, in, in today's world, and we have this um, – increased communication and accessibility to you is so much easier than it used to be. I mean, people can write, write reviews, find you on social media. They can, uh, you know, websites, all this stuff. You got an instant exposure almost. Um, so of course, and not everyone's going to be nice. I, a lot of people are, but there's all sorts of, um, stuff going on out there. So how do you yourself deal with social media and the internet? In small chunks, I am very much aware how much my mental sanity means to me and how much you can lose by trying to keep up with everything. I tried to get comfortable in one thing before I moved on. When it comes to readers, I've had some people that have reached up to me, and I think they're more surprised that I reply than anything else. <laughs> they're always shocked. They're like, what? And then they want to apologize for what they say, and I'm always extremely grateful because I do think – if you truly mean it from a good heart and good intentions, I'm always willing to accept it and I'm willing to communicate. I found out that once you do, they get very paranoid, like, oh, my God, you reply. I was like, you did email me. You did contact me. Of course, I'm going to try to reply as much as I can. I'm also very cautious of reviews because I think good or bad, sometimes as a writer, it's very hard to meet out people's expectations. You know, every story drives itself. Every character has their own goal at the end of it. And sometimes trying to make everybody happy becomes very, very hard. So I'm very cautious how much I take in because like everybody else, I'm extremely emotional. This is why I write for a living. So anytime somebody tells you something, regardless of how they see it and 
it's hard to take a review without knowing the person and realizing where they're coming from, but it can be really hurtful. So I try to be very careful with myself and how I take it and just to make the most of it. Well, you could always uh, use them in your book and have them destroyed. (laughs) (laughs) Have them run over by a truck. Yeah. You know, have some, you know, the cat scratches their eyes out or something. (laughs) So let's talk about that social media thing and stuff. So how do you like to interact with your readers? Believe it or not, I honestly prefer email. Do you have a website then? or I do. Everybody, you can find my email on my website, which is dcgomez-author.com. So I have a newsletter. People can sign up for the free book, so you can sign up for the newsletter and get information from me. But I always find that to be a much more one-on-one connection. It also forces me to like make complete sentences. Sometimes I think social media and how many characters and everything people have Everything we say is so short that the meaning can get lost. So I really enjoy email. I really enjoy people sending me notes, and I'm like, oh, my God, that is awesome. Yeah, okay. So now, of course, we'll have that up on our website, too, so people can find you, you know, with one click. Um, how how was the last couple of years? Like, you were probably writing this, this book um, over pandemic or in that time. How was that for you? Did it sort of affect your writing um, emotionally, or did it not? Well, I have a little joke, so hopefully you're prepared. This book actually came out right at the same time we went into lockdown for COVID. So if you ever want to promote a book called Judgment Day, when the world shuts down from a pandemic, don't. <laughs> Let me tell you, it is yeah. not good. Yeah, it is not good for the soul, because every time I wrote it, I was like, Judgment Day is coming. And then you have to put in parentheses, the book. Yeah. And then it became one of those very difficult scenarios because everybody's like why don't you change the title I'm like i can't it doesn't nothing else makes sense so promoting a book right when covid hit became excruciating it's all the sauce thing so you were asking if i ever had you know that downtime i was probably burnt out trying to get judgment day out trying to get through the pandemic i actually ended up writing three devotionals in that time so I wasn't writing any major pieces. I worked on Cat Lady. I was doing other projects. But my fantasy for that part took kind of a break. I was only so much I could do. And I was mentally exhausted and didn't know that I was exhausted. I didn't know that I was emotionally drained. And trying to explain this book to people and everybody's panicking and you have the chaos of it. And this book is called Judgment Day. And I have, you know, killer bees in here. And Texas got hit by killer bees at the same time. And I'm like, oh, my God. This is a test, and I'm failing. <laughs> well, it's it's interesting, but do you think that um, when you um, have, like, uh, emotional things going on or stressful things going on around you, do you sort of uh, – are you able to write through that, or how, how does that work for you? It takes me longer than normal. Anytime something emotional, I am very much driven by my emotions – I am a happy writer. I don't know if that's a thing. So I have to be in a very good place to write. I don't know how other writers do. I know I had a friend in college that if he was going through a breakup, his works were amazing because he tapped into that anger and that feelings. I'm not that writer. I have to be very happy in order to write, and I have to be emotionally stable and sane. So I do a lot in terms of meditations. I do a lot of walking just to keep myself balanced and make sure that that energy stays and that really fluid motion that I need. Yeah, it's just it's, it's interesting. So can you just like um, put a time, like say, okay, well, there's nobody around from 10 to 3 today, so I can sit down and write. And can you just sit and write? Or do you have to be in a certain mood or a certain frame of mind to, to write? I have to be on a deadline, let's be honest. Yeah, I, I well. work really well on deadlines. I'm a bench writer. I can honestly spend a couple weeks even a couple months not writing and then have crunch time writing but i do a lot of planning and developing on the meantime so a lot of the times by the time i sit down to write the entire book is already developed the entire structure is already developed i know what my chapters are going to look like i know what the ending of this book is going to be like so by the time i sit down i can seriously say it's crunch time let's put the words to the page and be okay with it but yeah it, it, deadlines tend to drive me more than moods. Oh, really? Yep. That's interesting. That's really interesting. So, so in a way, you could probably write for a paper or anything like that uh, pretty easily then. Yes, they have extremely strict 
deadlines. I just enjoy much more the freedom of writing novels and fantasy and that right. kind of world than actually having to do real life. So with, with you know, for an old guy here like me, um, urban fantasy. So how, what is that exactly? Um, and this is just for older people to listen to. <laughs> actually, that's a really good question and I get it all the time. So when you're thinking of fantasies, it's divided in many different smaller genres. So urban is anything that takes place in your current time frame. So it's going to be taking place in a real city. So you have that contemporary element that the supernatural world is imposed upon it. So one of the most famous urban fantasy writers is Jim Butcher, and he does the Dresden Files. But and So you have the magical world that is within the real world. So with my books, I take you through a trip of Texarkana. Some people, 90% of the buildings are real, 90% of the locations. I can, you can drive down the street and follow the book and get you to that building that I mentioned. So when you're thinking of urban, it is a real place that we're taking you with that has those elements in it. Even Harry Potter, to some extent, has that kind of urban feel because it takes you to London and it has those real elements within it as well. So you must do a lot of research on the city itself. I mean, and it, you know, when you're living in the city, I guess that helps too. But do you, do you actually research the city out? And, and can I say you write it as a character? I do. I have found out that Google Earth and anything you can tolerate in terms of like backstories of the series are huge in order to create something realistic. In the series, I have a building that happens to be very famous in Texarkana. And I thought this would be great for a battle. Unfortunately, with the main character, she is that's intern, so she can see ghosts and she can talk to them and she can touch them. I didn't realize when I was doing the series until I started doing the research that this building is known for having a fire and is known for being haunted. So I, you cannot dismiss that when you're talking about that's intern. You cannot dismiss the fact that it's supposed to be haunted, that the spirits are supposed to be roaming here. So that entire chapter had to be rewritten to bring those elements into reality because they're there. So there's some things you cannot just bypass and be like, oh, that's not there. Don't worry about it. It's the same thing with some of the elements. Like Texican is supposed to be notorious for having underground tunnels from Provision. So it's like, ooh, how do I add this into my series? How do I add these tunnels of people wandering around and make a part of that story? Well, urban fantasy has elements of horror in it. Um... What what draws you to uh, the fantasy elements over horror? Probably because I'm really squeamish. So, <laughs> just be honest. I honest. So, book two is Plague Unleashed, and is zombies in Texarkana. And I honestly, when I wrote it, I thought my zombies were really cool because you know you couldn't kill them. They're humans that have been infected by a plague, so you had to kind of keep them alive. And my brother busted my bubble again, because see, that's his job in life is to bust my bubbles. And he goes, your zombies are intense. You have five-year-olds attacking people. And I was like, five-year-olds don't attack people? He's like, that's not a thing. No, no, we, we don't want five-year-old zombies attacking people. It's like, huh. <laughs> you didn't know that. Like, is there a rule on zombies? Nobody told me. And these zombies, like, actually run. And they're, like, legit, like, intense. I was like, I just thought it would be fun. He's like, we need to work on you. I'm like, oh, okay. <laughs> so, yeah, so my zombies tend to be a little bit more... On the scary side, you just don't get the gruesome, you know, there's not going to be spleens and intestines running around. I'm not going to give it that much details. <laughs> but you might be scared that a five-year-old might actually turn on you and bite your face. <laughs> oh, nice. No, so which, which book in this series was your favorite to write? I love Judgment Day for the action and absolutely the madness of having all these enemies come together. My favorite, I will have to say, happens to be Plague because of how fun the writing zombies was. It was so much fun trying to get her to explain to the world that something odd is happening while everybody in the team goes, shh, we can't say the world zombie. You cannot talk about zombies. Also, probably one of my favorite horsemen, which is Pestilent, who's deliciously evil, is in this series. I have readers actually going... You know she's evil. I was like, you're not supposed to like her. They're like, oh, thank God. I really don't. I was like, you're not supposed to like her. This is why she's there. Like, it's okay for you not to like her. So they felt very protective to tell me that this character was super evil and should be hurt. I was like, mm, it's okay. Don't like her. Now, now you've got another series, the or you know the assassin book one. I see the the order of the assassins, the hitman, the hitman, right? Um, so is that out uh, from your own personal experience? 
I wish that would be amazing. I would make a lot of money. No, my life is very boring. <laughs> Let me just explain this to people. I have a really boring life. I live with a cat and I write. So, no. So this actually is a, it's not so much a spinoff. It's a continuation of the Reapers world. So if you enjoy the Reapers universe and that side, one of our side characters goes on his own adventures. So you get to see a very sexy, dangerous Eric who happens to be a witch as well as an assassin who hates being an assassin, if you can imagine that. Well, you know, after um, having written all these books and you've written, you know, five just in the series alone, um, have... Have you found any motifs, any themes that have reoccurred in your work? Um, have, have you noticed that? And, and do you know if uh, you've put them in deliberately or have they been unconscious? One of the most unconscious ones of all was the fact that my characters are extremely quirky. I had a mm. reviewer actually read the book and kind of write it. And it was at the beginning, I was highly offended. I was like, what does that mean? Like, are you judging <laughs> me? Like, what? And then one of my good friends pointed out, I was like, you're quirky. I was like, what? I'm not quirky. He's like, yes, you are. <laughs> so one of the biggest motif, I think my characters are extremely a reflection of that quirkiness and that extravagance of seeing life from a whole perspective is just embracing it. A lot of these characters just go for it. They, they see the world and they're in love with the world and they take these leaps that you're going, that is not going to end up good for you. You should really think about it and they still do it. So I never <laughs> thought about it as a good quality. Into everybody's so like, no, 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 it's a good thing. It's you. I was like, oh, who would have thought? I'm the quirky writer. Great. <laughs> I thought you quirky. Yeah, I thought you were going to say that turned you into the it man. <laughs> that was, I'm I'm quirky, <laughs> and I'm getting my gun out, man. I'm. It's yeah. weird because everybody is convinced that I'm ISIS. I was like, I'm not. I swear to God, I do. No, this is not an autobiography. It's fantasy, guys. I do, <laughs> I do not work from death. Like, are you sure? Because when I read this, I think of you. I was like, oh, that is so sweet. No, I'm not that good. Thank you. Well, well, what do you think? How much of you goes into the um, main character like that? Not much. I actually drew a lot of her personality from my brother. He's the musician in the family. He's the one who's very adventurous. He went cross country. He also joined the military, as I did. So he has all these traits of just being extremely passionate about things. And at the same time, impulsive. And she just has a lot of ISIS in him. So a lot of ISIS comes from Miguel. And everybody's like, really? I was like, yeah. Like, that's a lot more. Oh, when I saw it, it's a lot more. My brother is these people that are absolutely love everything around them and make everything just look like an adventure. I'm like, no, I should write about it. That's definitely, I might be a little bit more reserved than I care to admit to myself. Geez, you know, with the with the term ISIS out there, I would maybe avoid that name. <laughs> you know, a poor poor Burl Bear. You know, he's a a writer, famous in the crime, true crime world. But his dog was named ISIS, and then when all that happened, he couldn't turn on the TV. The dog kept on thinking the TV was calling him. <laughs> you know. Oh. The good news is I do have a joke about it. That's the ongoing joke in the series is that everybody says, like, the terrorist group. And she goes, I know, the Egyptian goddess. So we get yeah. to play a lot with that. But I, that actually is a really good idea. So every time the TV says ISIS, make her turn. I like that. Yeah. Well, you know, it's funny. I, it, see, I'm old enough to remember when I was a kid, there was a series on Shazam ISIS. It was like, <laughs> you know, it was about the, uh, you know, the Egyptian warrior and stuff it was really corny i mean it's like wonder woman you know from the 70s so nothing exciting but i so i remembered uh that but a lot of people don't know about I, that. i actually got the comic book i went to a comic-con convention and one of the vendors had the comic book for isis and he's like i have a present for you i'm like that sounds really creepy but okay and he's like this <laughs> is for you and i was like oh my god that is a little bit weird but it was beautiful so i still have it in my house so i know exactly what you're talking about alan yeah, yeah, it's crazy. It was one of those that you know you wouldn't believe it would. Have, I would have never guessed what would come from that name later, but you know it's how it goes. Well, it, it, so if if someone had never heard of you before, hard for me to believe, but they've never heard of DC Gomez, and uh, so they were to say, pick one book that represents your type of writing. But that, that so if they read it, they're going to get a good feel for who DC is. Which book of everything you've written um, would you tell them to read? Oh, that is really, really hard. Can we break it into parts? 
So yeah, it, sure. You know, just it, it's an idea, just to get you, the concept of who you are. If you like fantasy, I always send people to Death Intern or The Origins of Constantine. One of those two would be top of my list. If they don't like fantasy, I will send them to the Cat Lady Special. Because there's still a bunch of insane, quirky people just trying to make it through life and make the most of it. And it's a lot of action and just fun adventures in a very small town in Texas. Hmm. How do you use, you use a, a Texas a lot in there. Is, there, is there? is it a great place to live for you? Honestly, I love it. Even moving from up north, I grew up in New England. I went to school in NYU, like New York City. I was in NYU. And I never believed that I was going to settle in a small town. That was not something that I was excited about. And then by chance and God's will, I ended up in this very small town that is absolutely fun. The community is very loving because when I wrote this intern, I'm in the Bible Belt for anybody who's not familiar. And I'm like, I'm going to get burned at the stake and <laughs> run a town. This is going to happen. I'm going to get kicked out of town. Instead, the community embraced it, and they were loving it, and there have been single-handedly my biggest cheerleaders on this series that is wild. But I found out that I love writing small town. It is a lot of fun to take in the conventional, because what goes on in small towns? Like, that's the joke in Texarkana. Nothing happens here. So when you can take a place that everybody knows that it's fairly boring for the most part, it's just a great place to raise a family, and then you add a whole bunch of adventures into it, makes life really, really exciting. Did you wear a cowboy hat? I do not. <laughs> I should. I just feel bad because I don't have any cows. I feel bad having a cowboy hat without a cow. Well, it's just part of the fashion. It's not necessarily something you need to do. It's just you know, don't don't. They, isn't there a lot of cowboy hats there or everywhere? They look amazing yeah. in guys. They're they're also very hot and heavy. I was like, eh, we'll pass on the cowboy hat. Yeah, I guess that's true. They would be, wouldn't they? That would. Be I'd nice. wear a ten gallon hat. You are brave. <laughs> well, I'm short, so okay. Yeah, you give me some height. You gotta get some height there. So. Hey, what, so what? What um, urban fantasy writer do you like, or would you, is there anybody you would like to work with? How's that? Can I say I would love to work and meet Kim Harrison? She does the Hollow mm. series, so she does the Rachel Morgan series, which I absolutely adore. And Charlene Harris, um, Harrison, she did the Suki um, Journal. So I am completely in love with both of those ladies. And if for whatever reason Jim Butcher happens to be lonely, give me a call because I'll be there. <laughs> well, you can only hope something like that, you know. Absolutely. You never know. Have you ever written with another person on a book, ever done kind of that sort of thing, co-authored? I am not. I have a lot of friends who do. And I'm always amazed of how they create it in the process. My question to all of them is, like, who's actually typing? I'm like, are you typing? Is she typing? Who's typing? Like, I want to know, like, the technicalities of it. Like, how does that work? So, but yeah. I have not had the pleasure. No, I've, well, I've, I've known people, and I've done it with others. And, and sometimes I think the hardest part would be probably um, if you were sharing characters. But if you each wrote characters and parts of the stories and integrated it's easier than um just kind of working on the same one back and forth but i know people that i know others that have done that too so i would love to i just don't know if my add can handle it's like oh that's pretty fun i don't know if i'm yeah. there yet yeah 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 you don't want to be getting in any fights or anything like that right you never... yeah <laughs> That would be bad. <laughs> well, so are you going to any shows now that things are kind of lightening up? I am extremely happy convention season is back. For a girl that, for the most part, is very introvert, I didn't realize how much I was going to love them. But just having an opportunity to meet people, talk books to readers. I think that's probably the best thing ever. I have a convention in July in Savannah that I, this is going to be my third year. So as Literacy Loves Savannah, it is a week-long convention specifically for readers. And it's all you can think about. There's over 30 authors come in, and we get to talk to them. We get to play games. We get all sorts of fun. And then I have a convention in Houston in August. Yeah, I'm pretty excited. It's going to be fun. Yeah, do you dress up like characters? or? I don't. I tell everybody nobody recognizes me as an author now. I can't actually add anything to this. It'd be confusing. <laughs> well, you should dress up like one of your characters, you know, maybe the cat. 
Oh my God. Somebody actually, <laughs> somebody actually gave me like little like cat ears like here, take this on. I was like, I sell merchandise for all of my books. So I was like, how about I just wear my shirt? I just wear the shirt and point at it. I think it'll be okay. Yeah. Well, you know, you went to a comic con, didn't you? Isn't that what you said? Or I did. Well, the people dress up there a lot. I cannot compare to them. They're amazing. These costumes are incredible, and they spend months creating them. I don't think I would do it justice. You could dress up like Superwoman or something like that, right? Oh God, that means I have to work out. <laughs> this well, you could be the, there. We've got it. I've got it figured out. You are okay. going to be the next Catwoman. That's a lot of working out. You know how much. <laughs> well, have to you be know, at the gym a lot. No, just be like Steven Seagal. They just show your face and then show your hands, and that's it, right? Ooh, I like that. Yes, let's do this. You know, I can do Queen that. Latifah, right? She beats <laughs> yes. people up. She walks in the room, and then it shows them all on the floor. You don't need to, to have all that other stuff. We can just cut that, okay? You are my hero, Ellen. Let's make this happen. <laughs> I'm buying this. I'm telling you, I've got it. This is yes. it. We, we've made it. Now we know what this is meant to be. So Absolutely. Well... We've come to the end of the hour, so now um, the book we're talking about, of course, is Judgment Day and is book five of The Intern Diaries. You should really get all five books. It sounds kind of like real exciting. Get into this, you know, and, um, you know, let's do it. So the author is our guest, D.C. Gomez. Thank you for coming on the show. Gentlemen, thank you so much for having me. It has been an absolute pleasure and an honor, and I'm so thrilled to be here with you guys. Thank you. Thanks, D.C. Tired of wasting time trying to decide what to watch on your streaming service? Go to our website and look for the Martino Movie Reviews. You've been listening to the House of Mystery radio show. To find out more about our guests, hosts, or shows, go to www.houseofmystery.com. Show's over for now. Was it as good for you as it was for me? Yeah. This has been a production of Something Weird Media. I'll be back. You've been listening to the House of Mystery radio show. To find out more about our guests, hosts, or shows, go to www.houseofmystery.com. Show's over for now. Was it as good for you as it was for me? Yeah. Good night. This has been a production of Something Weird Media. I'll be back.